0: Looks weird that you have two chords coming out of your headphones. Dope. You got music in one, like
1: charging <laughs> charging my shit on the other.
2: Fire it away, Michael. All right, so what we first, got and this is all coming from Facebook, by the way. Our first question. A.K.A.
0: Hit us up on Facebook if you have any questions for the podcast. You can find me at Cody Boom Boom McBroom. You can find him at Theo Bowie. Anything you want.
2: All right. So the first one is from Bao. And she asks, how long should you rest between sets?
0: Big, it depends. Yeah. Um, Huge, it depends. I think, like, so, like, I kind of... She actually asked me this in person, and then she posted on the Facebook as well. And what I told her is it... I said it depends, but I said, like, with... With metabolic conditioning, I think it's more important just to shorten them up, right? So they've done a bunch of studies for building muscle and strength. And at the end of the day, if volume is equated, it doesn't matter. So if we're trying to build muscle, whether you take one minute or three minutes in between sets, it doesn't matter. But here's the catch. Like if you take 30 seconds, you get a little bit more uh, metabolic fatigue. So you get that lactic acid buildup. So it feels like you're doing some more damage. So... Classic old school bodybuilders would do really short rest periods in these like different supersets because it made them feel as if they were just breaking shit down, which they were, and that that is a component of muscle building. But in the biggest component of building muscle is volume. So if I do a set of, let's say I do two twenty five and I do twelve squats, if I take a thirty second break, there's no way I'm going to be able to do twelve squats again. If I take a two minute break, I will be able to. So if I take a two minute break, my volume is bigger. So I'll build more muscle. So that's like the main thing. I know strength is going to be a little bit longer and that's more specific for people. And I also told you, like women tend to need less break.
1: Yeah. So I, that that was the point that I was going to go into. It depends on if you're uh, male or female, because women recover a lot faster and you'll find that. I mean, even in the gym, like women don't usually want to rest. Right, like they'll just they'll just smash through three sets. I mean, they'll ma- just make it one big set, or like kind of like an EDT. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but typically I'll give my women about uh sixty, 60 seconds. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of fair to go off with yeah. uh, most guys too, kind of just depending. But I'll give my guys ninety seconds
0: to 10 yep. minutes. Yeah, most things. I'm, I'm exactly the same. I actually looked into this a little bit because I was curious, like why the hell do women? kind of pissed me off i was like (laughs) i can't take that quick well i like Um, breaks so i'm totally fine with it yeah so like i think part of it is is obviously uh when we look at intensity so the weight that we're lifting men typically lift heavier weights therefore they're going to need more rest periods so that is a factor in it but i guess estrogen actually has a lot to do with it as well because estrogen has a recovery um anabolism factor and it actually helps them speed up recovery in between sets and i was like damn that's fucking surprising So there's actually a legit science behind it, which I didn't think there was. I really was just like, I just think because everybody else I've looked into is just like from my experience, women recover faster, which is the truth. Um, And then, like I said before, I think metabolic conditioning is just the purpose of Metabolic conditioning, especially if it's sports specific, is to to monitor those rest periods, right? So if you're a fighter or if you're um, and uh, just any athlete looking on building endurance and speed and explosiveness, sometimes you do want to chop the brakes so you can get that adaptation, right, right. and be better right. in the ring, better on the field. Right. Um, so it just depends. Now, if you're doing a on yard shuttle test you're going to want to take a longer break because it's a timed test. Right. So I think it just depends. But, um, well
1: people also got to understand that that's what conditioning is. It's your ability to recover after, uh, after a work working period. Right. So, um, you know, if, if we do, uh, a sprint, right, let's say we go for uh, a hundred yards or a hundred meter sprint and, um, you know, the, the first week of doing that workout, it takes you five minutes to fully recover and get your, get yourself down to a normal resting heart rate. And then you go after that, that sprint again, because I mean, it's generating a lot of power, right? It's your ability to, to recover and then chopping that down each time. So maybe after week four, it, it, it only takes you about, uh, two minutes.
0: Yeah. So, and that's actually a good point because that would be progression, right? So like we look at progression, like adding weight to the bar. Well, adding weight or, uh, progression on conditioning can be just that. So if I have somebody doing shuttle sprints, maybe we start with like 10 second sprint, 50 second rest, and then we move to 15 seconds on 45 off and then 20, 40. And then we add around and go back to the 10 50. Well, you know what I mean? Like, yep. and you can, you can manipulate break periods as well for progression on conditioning. Um, what about fat loss? Let's talk about that real quick. Cause obviously I think muscle building is really simple. They've done studies on since it, it just proves like to build muscle volume, frequency, and intensity, like in that order is like the key. So whether you take two minutes or not, it doesn't matter. But for fat loss, do you think there is any component to that? Um, besides the only thing that I can think of personally is, is first of all, like building muscle will burn fat. So in that sense, it doesn't really matter. Cause like we said, to build muscle doesn't matter. But in my mind, I'm like, well, if I can increase my metabolic capacity on a conditioning assessment and do less rest period i'm going to get better at that be more explosive on the longer duration stuff right so maybe i keep chopping my uh break period up and then when i add more rest periods in i can do more rounds Correct. that's going to lead to more foul-offs. Correct. would you say the same yeah, i mean that's i would, my I would only... say the same
1: and, and it also goes back to I, I know we've covered it in the past uh what joe defranco says you know the do the do the program that you're not doing yeah so if somebody's Constantly doing performance-based training or or strength training, um, add in some some metabolic conditioning, and I mean you're go- you're gonna burn you're yeah. gonna burn more fat because um, you, your body has to adapt, and, yeah, and what is it gonna to it. U- use for fuel at
0: and, the end of the? And day? And that's a good point too because I think like somebody asked me a long time ago, and it was it was hard for me to answer at the time, but essentially it was like what's so we do this program for four weeks let's say we're doing a four-week cycle and we're letting my body adapt isn't that bad and i was like well it depends on what we're doing if we did this program exactly to the t for 12 weeks yes it would be because let's say you do adapt in four weeks then your body is in control and that's why low intensity cardio isn't the best because your body adapts and then it doesn't burn as many calories as time goes on um so it might be a good idea to switch the type of low intensity cardio you do for fat loss um but i think like when it comes to an athlete we want them to adapt. So if we're doing agility work, we want you to adapt and your body to get really good at that so it doesn't have to work anymore to do that. It's just natural. That way when you get on the field, there's no injury. But I think it's a completely different component. Um, And I think the rest periods can help your body stay away from adapting. So if you're stuck with say so you can't get over a certain weight on the bar and you and your goal is fat loss, maybe you do cut rest periods a little bit because that's another way of your body to stop adapting so quickly or whatever it may be. Um, it's just another component that you can play with, really.
1: Right. And it, it also is going to depend on, Let's so let's go the athlete route on the sport, right? Like when mm-hmm. you, I know that Martin Rooney, when he created the Training for Warriors um, program, right, like really it takes – it's going to take somebody to go through those, those three rounds. It's going to take them a certain amount of time, right? Or, or on average, right? Yeah. But those people are, those guys are fighting for three minutes at a time, right? So if, if you guys aren't familiar with Martin Rooney, he, uh, he came up for training for warriors. So you can Google that, um, look that stuff up. Great stuff. We use it at Vigor um, uh, on a weekly basis, but um it started as it's to train st- fighters yeah, yeah to train UFC fighters and he worked with the best guys in the industry and you know a lot of UFC champions um so uh to to condition those guys and I know that he did it a, a few different ways so he gave them uh three rounds he gave them uh rep counts um and a lot of it started off with sprints so very demanding stuff um but, you know, they'd go through three rounds as fast as they could before they took a short break. Right. Which is pretty much how they went. Yeah. And then um, three in the more rain. and then three Exactly. More. Yeah. And then he turned it into EDTs. Yeah. Um. So, again, just pushing them to those limits and getting them to work as hard as they can. But
0: teaching them to be efficient at the same time. Yeah. So. And I think that's like, when I start cutting people's rest period, a lot of times it's to get them to work harder. Because right. if I'm like, okay, so we have a 10 minute EDT last week, you got six rounds. I want you to push for seven or eight rounds. You have to go harder. You have to take less rest periods. Guess what? You're going to get more work done in that small amount of time. You're going to burn more calories. You're going right. to burn more fat and you're going to lose more weight. Now, is it because you took less rest or is it because you got more work done? Most likely more work done, but rest was the ultimate factor that made you do that. So you got to learn how to play with it correct
2: all right so the next one actually came from a few different people um is a calorie really a calorie so like this i mean this
0: is huge with an iifym crowd um and i mean shit after the one we just recorded it probably won't air before this but the about michael and crohn's disease like in his case a calorie is definitely not a calorie Right. Like his body handles 100 calories from chicken way differently than it handles 100 calories from dairy. Right. right. So I think, in that sense, I think it's just uh, one of my biggest tips in there was become more aware of your body and learn um, what calories or what food essentially works with your body. What what does your body use for fuel versus. Right. Um, and and that's why, like, if it fits your macros, okay, can you have Pop-Tarts and lose weight? Yes. But is that to say that a Pop-Tart is better than a yam for fuel? No, there's no fucking way. Now, if a yam doesn't sit well with your digestive tract, then maybe yam's not the best choice. Maybe it's oatmeal, right? But I think that's the big thing. So in one way, yes, it is because 3,500 calories equals a pound of fat. So if you can cut 3,500 calories, no matter what those calories are coming from, you're likely to lose weight. So, in, and it's, so it's, it's again one of those it depends questions. Like, part of it is, is yes, it actually, a calorie is a calorie. But then the other sense is, if you're fully aware with your body, then no, it's not. Um, so I think it's really hard to answer that question. But one thing I wanted to go over too, and this is actually going, happening to me right now is like when people weigh in, you got to think about this. Okay. So, like, I did a, uh, so I was down this week in weight. So I'm doing a cut right now. And, um, I, I was down and then I did a uh, my refeed day right so my refeed day is probably 500 calories extra but it's all from carbs right so carbs retain water so I retained a lot of water actually, which if you think about it, like going from 175 to 300 grams of carbs, that's a lot of carbs to add into a day, 125 grams of pretty much just extra rice and just like random stuff like that. So I retained water in it and it threw off my weigh-ins for the rest of the week. And it started getting in my head and I thought about this question and I was like, well, there's no way that I gained that much body fat, even if I did go up two pounds, because if 3,500 calories is – a pound of fat and i went up two pounds but i only increased 500 calories right so i think that's really important for people to know and and sometimes that's when like daily and consistent weigh-ins can actually help people because then you can go like okay so you gained three pounds in the last two days if where they, we
1: if they understand that
0: that's right but like in order to teach them that right yeah. like so how many calories did you go over none okay so you probably just switched up the type of carbs your body didn't handle or you had extra salt right yeah okay so this is just proof that the weight is going to fluctuate and it's not correct, right. And it's a good way to get out of your own head and remind yourself that. Um So in that sense, calories, not a calorie, I guess a calorie is a calorie. It's, it's such a hard question to answer. So from what I'm
1: getting from kind of what you're saying is it's, it's not necessarily a one size fits
0: all. Yeah. Sort 100%. of hundred percent. And that's actually, a, actually that's a great way to describe it. Cause let's look at like protein, for instance, protein, has a thermic effect of about twenty five percent, meaning twenty five percent of the protein that you consume is going to be burned through digestion. So, I want to say fat is like six percent, and carbs is like thirteen to fourteen percent. So, a uh, uh, hundred calories of protein is not the same of a hundred calories from carbs. Is not the same a hundred calories from fat. So it's really really difficult and that's why it does help to have macros in place fat and carbs are closer and therefore like letting those float and hitting your overall calories is going to be better off but with protein like shit, that's a big gap Yep, 25 percent of it is burned um the rest is pretty much used or pissed out as nitrate so you don't even store most of it as fat at all if any so in that sense a calorie is not a calorie right and that's like where like people have to like draw the line with the if it fits your macros right because in one sense, flexibility is important, and I, I do preach and follow a lot of that, but at the same time, it's 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 completely off. I mean,
2: I think that hammers it home.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: All right, so the next one is from Brennan, and uh, tips for getting ready for a PR.
0: I got to throw out his, his original question, because he commented on it, and he says, is there really anything more important than bicep curls? And and I answered it, but I didn't even say, Oh, well, I was just like, uh, I was like, we'll cover that. But to, uh, but to answer you now, no, there's not. And that's all I said. But then he was like, no, but seriously, I have a real question. And then he asked this about PR. So like, what do you do to get ready for a PR? So
1: I, I will program when I, when I'm writing my program for somebody it's for that goal. Mm-hmm. So obviously I want to, um, when we're getting into that I want to progressively obviously overload
0: that that person right so, so you're saying what you do what you do to get ready is all in the weeks prior exactly okay so
1: and usually it's gonna be into what I find with most people is about week three is when they hit that peak um, week four they're they're feeling drained um, and that's exactly what I want the program to do so I never want to put somebody on a twelve week right. um uh, training phase to where they never feel that really tired or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, you have to push yourself. If, if you're, if you're going to get stronger, you have to push yourself to that point.
0: Yeah. And that's not overtraining. That's overreaching. Exactly. And you want to get there. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So there's a very fine line, but that I'm, I'm programming for that. So, um, it, and, and again, it's going to depend on the person, but let's say we go for, uh, you know, trap bar deadlift, right? I'm going to make sure, um, that, Throughout that program, if I want to if, – if that person wants to improve their their trap bar deadlift, one, I mean, there's going to be some some key things that I'm going to hit, which is, like, I'm not going to throw a whole lot of grip work right. in, their, uh, in their other day. Like, if they're training with me two, three days a week, I'm not going to throw um, exercises where they're required to hold on to a lot of stuff, right, right? because, man, like – I mean, you, you've experienced it before when your central nervous starts to go, like your grip is like shot. It's shot. So it's very, very hard to hold on to, to stuff like that. So, um, it could be, you know, I'll, I'll change reps. So let's say one week we're going to do five sets of three, right. Um, you know, the next week I might have them do, uh, five sets of four or five sets of five, or even cut down, um, cut down the sets yeah. and then, uh, cut down the reps as well, but increase increase the load. So, and, and really, a lot of it is so just overall volume
0: doesn't change much. No, right? No,
1: but the weight. I mean, the intensity the, does exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's
0: the whole like purpose behind tapering for like powerlifting meets and stuff, right? And 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 sometimes it's as simple as throwing in a deload week right before you do want a PR. And I would always tell people like, don't deload and then expect to PR on Monday, like. Deload and then do a couple like central nervous system like stimulant workouts the days leading up to it, rather than because if you come straight off a deload you're not it's gonna be hard to PR because your body's definitely calmed down and so you're not like in the right mode for I guess you could say.
1: And and I think another to to, I think his he had another part of that question was which was yeah so what you know as far as like a mindset or what do you in, in preparation for getting ready for a PR. Is to to fire up that nervous system, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just doing like a warm up or going through mobility drills. Do and that, then, but. yeah, and then like doing a bunch of trap bar, and then expect to get into right. uh, your uh, your max effort, um, which I rarely never do. I'll have somebody do something that's that's super lightweight or or um, extremely powerful, like a sprint or. Jam ball slams yeah. or something like that. Or like if you're we... gonna
0: do a deadlift PR, maybe you start with bra jumps. Right. Uh, if you're doing a bench press, maybe you start with like jam ball throws from your chest, like mimicking that uh movement pattern, but explosively with a very lightweight. Right. I think even it's... even with even
1: with slams, because it requires them to use their hips to generate more power, I mean that's not gonna be a bad go yeah. no, to no, no. a, a either. And a CNS. It's, it's full body. Yeah. yeah. So and and to do only like you know, three sets. Um, yeah. And that anyway. might
0: be a good idea to do, like, the day before, right? Yeah. Like, maybe you're doing – you're going to go for a sumo PR. Maybe that week you throw in some speed sumos with, like, 60% of your max. So it's, like, you get done with six sets of three with some super bands and stuff, and you're, like, that was cake. Like, it's not hard, but you're practicing that movement in an explosive manner. Right. right. Would not be a bad idea at all. Um, for me, getting hyped up, it's really just, like it, – it it always just – I don't even have like a certain thing I do. Like some people I feel like have rituals, you know what I mean? Like for me, it, every time I've PR'd, it wasn't planned. So, and and I think it's more because I do more bodybuilding style programming. It's just kind of one of those things. Like last time I PR'd was on the bench press and like the Pandora station was killing it and the gym atmosphere was good. There was only like a few people there and they were all people that were like hyped up too and i just kept adding weight and i was like fuck it i'm going for it and i just ended up pr'ing you know what i mean so i think like it just kind of depends on the person i don't have a ritual if if i'm fired up that day i'll go for it for and it's not something you want to do on a frequent basis so like right, it's not right. like pr on a daily basis the only way i think you can set personal records um, like next week I actually my coach has me programmed to set a pr every day of the week but the rest of the volume is very, very low. And it's not a, a, a weight PR. It's a rep PR. Right. So it's like a small percentage of my weight. And then I'm doing how many reps can you do with clean form. And it's it's like squat. And then the next day is bench. And then it's uh, deadlift. You know what I mean? So it like staggers. Um, and I think that's okay to an extent. But even that is kind of pushing it. Programming
1: is going to be absolutely, I, I think, is going to be the biggest thing mm-hmm. when, when you're trying to reach a PR how you how you approach that, and going back to the programming is going to be the most is going to be the most important thing. Assuming Think, that you're doing everything yeah. right outside of the gym, yeah. Rest, Think nutrition, ahead, man. Like, yeah, exactly. Not enough so people, accessory work is going to come. Yeah, not in enough people
0: and, do that, right? Like, oh, I'm going to do lunges just because everybody does lunges. Okay, well, like, what form of unilateral movement is actually going to supplement the the lift that you want to PR on right. best, right? So. For a squ- box squat PR, you might want to incorporate step-ups, yeah. right? Because it mimics that pattern. Um, if it is just a regular squat, maybe it's a Bulgarian split squat. Maybe it's a front foot elevated reverse lunge. You know what I mean? Like different things like that. Anterior lunges for deadlifts, RDLs for deadlifts. Yeah. Like People just don't think like, ahead enough on that stuff, I think.
2: All right. So this one is more open-ended. Goggin asked about late-night eating
0: that's literally all she said too. late night eating yep. question mark or actually i think she had an emoji with like looking up uh, um, calories in versus calories out yeah 100 percent. like i don't think the only thing i would say is like don't if you know you're gonna weigh in tomorrow and you let's say you still hit your calories but you had a big meal later than normal it's gonna affect your in the next day because you're gonna have bulk food in your stomach and that's gonna cause weight and water retention um but otherwise, it literally comes down to calories in, calories out. So if she's asking, so there's two ways that she could be asking this. She could be asking, does eating late at night cause uh, weight gain? And the answer is no, if calories in versus calories or out are okay. Your metabolism yeah, like yeah. not all that is bullshit. If you get your macros and your calories in by the end of the day and you're on point with that, it doesn't matter at all. Um, I will say some people, if you have bad digestion or you have bad circadian rhythms, I've actually looked into this quite a bit. It can affect your digestion or your sleep patterns, but it's just like, that's like the one percenters of people. Like most people do not need to worry about it all. I'll eat at 10 PM and sleep and go to bed right away and feel fine. Then I'll eat at 7 PM and go to bed four hours later and feel fine. It's not really, and it doesn't affect my results whatsoever. Um, So I don't really get into that with people unless they they notice like acid reflex going to bed before bed. If they wake up in the middle of the night, um, if they have to pee more throughout the night, things like that, then I'll be like, okay, we should probably, but it's never been a thing. It's like, Hmm, you're not losing weight. Let's pull back your last meal a little bit earlier. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal. There are some people, there's this guy, his name's, uh, Borge. I know I'm saying that wrong. Cause, but he's from Norway, B O R G E. And he's like super into nutrient timing. um, and circadian rhythms and he claims that the best time to eat your last meal is uh between seven to nine p.m and he doesn't let people go past that because if you do it throws off your circadian rhythms and that can affect your sleep and your stress hormones and and he could be right yeah. um but i think and again he works with one scientist and studies two uh high level bodybuilders to the point where that could have an effect but if you're not trying to get to six percent body fat, which most people yeah. aren't unless they're trying to get on stage, I don't think it's 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 not really relevant. Now the other way she could be um looking at this is just from uh or did I already go over both? She just asked about late night eating. Oh, like uh I'm thinking like cravings. You know what I mean? Right, like people right. have like cravings and hunger at night, like how to get rid of that. I think that's pretty individualized. I mean, have you have you dealt with people like that? I'm sure you've heard it, but
1: Yeah, and Pretty much ninety nine point nine percent of people, and I'm and the only reason I can't guarantee a hundred percent is because I can't think of anybody uh, right now. But most of the people who I work with, it's been a lack of preparation. Yeah, I haven't been prepared. So the reason that they go for something quick is because they don't have anything that they yeah. prepared. So, yeah. um, I mean, I think that's the best way to, not necessarily cravings, but as far as. I think it's. I, I really just think that it's it's making choices based on what you have in front of you, right? So yeah. if you have, uh, if you have chicken and, and sweet potatoes, and you know that's good, and you've prepared that, I mean, and and you are and you're really focused on your goal, most likely that you're gonna go for that versus if going it's for cookies or yeah. something like that. Because just if it's just to not there, you up. have to go through baking the right. chicken. You're not, yeah. you're not gonna do that at nine. PM. The process, yeah,
0: exactly. So, but I'm gonna take it one level further because I've I've worked with a couple people that I've helped actually just they've been prepped they've done stuff but they still have cravings and they end up snacking on certain things and I just noticed what like so if somebody's like man I like at late at night I'm just like I'm tired I've, I've like you know I've followed my diet everything but I just end up snacking on trail mix I'm like okay like salty fatty foods research salty fatty foods and what nutrients are in there and you can find out what nutrients are heavy in those because the body doesn't do it or the body does do it on purpose right so like um, I don't know what it is, but if it's salt, then maybe they are too low salt. Maybe they're missing electrolytes. Maybe they need more potassium. Maybe it's the fat in the nuts. So you look at that and you're like, okay, it's poly and mono unsaturated fat. Let's get some more of that in your diet throughout the day. Cook with olive oil instead of coconut oil. Yeah. See if that helps. Um, I've had people with chocolate and I've had them eat more sweet potatoes yep, and spinach that, yeah. and that has more potassium and calcium and iron. And then all of a sudden, oh shit, like they don't Crave that crave chocolate that, yeah. so much, right? So that can be a big thing. So look at your diet and look for the micronutrients. Um, is your diet balanced? And if it is, do something to get those micronutrients in, so you don't crave it later on. Um, preparation is obviously key. Stress management is huge. Like people like like manage your stress, and you are probably less likely to go to that. Um, but that one was a big one for me. Is just is just solving that. And and sometimes like if I have a guy that's doing this um because the big meals at night work better and i've done this with ladies too actually um if they if they just it's just an eating thing they just they enjoy like boredom eating and i've been there like i get it what i'll do is like okay let's do intermittent fasting so we, we skip breakfast or like let's make your breakfast literally just like a protein shake and some coffee right save calories and that way when you get to dinner you know your calories and you're like damn i have a hell of calories to work with you can have a big meal you're not going to be hungry or craving stuff afterwards yeah.
2: Right, so Rob is curious to know what the difference between a front-loaded squat and a back squat.
1: So, the back—I mean the back squat—obviously, you can typically load more, right? You can you can handle heavier load. Um, the front squat I love because most people, especially in in this society. Um, with desk jobs and stuff like they're very, they live in lumbar extension. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me to get somebody to compress the rib cage, keep the neutral spine and squat more efficiently, I'll get have them- Yeah, that anterior tilt. I'll load them and uh, I'll, I'll give them a front loaded squat, whether it's with kettlebells, a barbell, sandbag, whatever it is, um, that's that's really the main difference. It's essentially it's safer. Exactly. And, and by front yeah.
0: loaded, that can be sandbag, There's kettlebell, dumbbell, barbell. Yeah um way less room for error i think the back squat's a little more hip dominant because you sit back into it which is why it's more also lumbar low back spine dominant which is an issue or risk um and and you have to sit into the hips more you're going to be more front loaded in in your anterior side you're going to hit more quads and a so for bodybuilders if you're lagging quads maybe implement front squats because they actually did i think it's emg is like the little things they put on they did studies and the front squat actually does build more quad muscle, yeah. uh, even with the lesser load, um, if volume is equated. So you can drop the load in half and do uh, twice the reps, and you're going to build more muscle in your quads. Like, And it's safer. Like, I don't see why not. Do other things for glutes. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the biggest thing, like you said, is just safety. A lot of people can't back squat properly um uh, sometimes mechanics does play a part i know people who have longer femurs will sit way back into it and it almost looks like a good morning yep. so for them you got to be careful too because if they don't have if they do have like low back issues or they have a weak core then that's gonna fuck them up um now for someone like me i have short femurs i still stay pretty upright on a squat so that's not as big of an issue uh, but at the same time i've hurt my back squatting plenty of times yeah so i think it just depends
2: Arnold wants to know if he really needs to train six days a week.
0: So Arnold signed up with me recently and he was asking me like, what should we do like going forward? And he was training uh, four and five days a week off and on doing group class stuff. And I was like, I mean, in an optimal world, six days a week would be ideal for you because uh, that way we can get the amount of strength training in. And I think he took it as in he had to get do six days a week to get results. Um, And I was saying it is, you're doing X amount of classes right now, it'd be beneficial to add a a, a strength day in. And that would be about six days a week. That'd be optimal. Um, Now, in some cases, five days is more optimal. In some cases, six days are more optimal. So I'm going to share what I did with him and then I'll let you get your opinion in. So what I told him, because he asked me this, I was like, not at all. I was like, "If here's the thing. is like, and he just weighed in. He lost three pounds this week, which is great. He just started with me. It's a good, that's a great loss at first. What we're going to do is Keep it at five days a week until we need to make it six days a week. So I told him, I was like, let's get the most results with a minimum effective dose. So if you're training five days a week and we can take two rest days, that's less stress on the body and you're losing three pounds a week and that'll slow down a little bit and that's fine. Let's just keep it as it is because there's no point in overloading your body yet because at some point we will have to increase volume and frequency and I'd rather add a day than make your workouts two hours long in the gym. Um, So what we're going to do is keep it at five days until the weight starts stalling. Once that does, we might add another uh, cardio in. We might add another boot camp in, whatever it may be. Um, And we haven't even really touched nutrition yet. So to be honest, the specific nutrition would be my first go to. But that's kind of what I told him. So I said no. um, But at the same time, I train six days a week and play soccer one day a week. So it's not to say that you can't. It just depends. I've also been training longer, so. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, I trust your opinion. And obviously, you've spent a little bit more time with uh, with him than I have. My, from my perspective, for um, a lot of people who are kind of in his position, right, who are just really starting to strength train or mm-hmm. get into it, recovery is going to be that is, is going to be almost. I mean, it's just as it's just as important as him getting in his training session. So I think when people think about overdoing it. And maybe for those people who don't have coaches, right, if they're training six, some people are going seven days a week. Um, Man, like inflammation is is going to play a role. So you're going to need that recovery. So, uh, you know, like we've talked about before with um, doing like the bathhouses or uh, massages or um,
0: uh, just getting contrast showers. Yeah. yeah.
1: Just getting enough sleep. Right. And that was one of the first Something things to reduce, him. Inf-
0: reduce inflammation. And, um, so we sat down and I was like, what do you do for your work? And he told me, I was like, is it stressful? And he's like, no, not at all. Like my job's pretty cool. Like I don't have anybody ahead of me. So I, I kind of run my division. Like I'm cool. Yeah. I was like, okay, like how many hours a night are you sleeping? He's like seven at least, but usually like eight, eight and a half. And I was like, perfect. Yeah. Let's yeah. keep it at five. You know what I mean? He could bump to six, dude. He came. So he, His first, like, we did some activation stuff. We did some uh, hamstring curls. I knew we were going to be squatting. Then we did some, like, explosive work before we, like, started lifting. And then we did double kettlebell front squats and then uh, incline dumbbell bench press. And he went up from 50s to 65s after a week. So I knew, like, one, he wasn't pushing himself as hard as he could the first day because he was kind of nervous or whatever. But that also means that the strength training didn't fry him. You know what I mean? So he is on top of his recovery. So I agree with you completely. If that's not in check, then...
1: 'Cause I got I mean, I have somebody
0: on the opposite end of
1: that spectrum who works well five days a week but is super stressed out and only sleeps maybe four hours a night. But they want to train like but crazy. But they want to train like crazy, right? So my battle is to is to get that person to understand that look, like less is more in this case. Like let's work on your yeah. sleep
0: more than anything. Man. If you can, and I'm going to call you out right now, Chas, so if you're listening, sorry, but have her talk to her, him or her, whoever it is, talk to Chas. Because when she first originally, this is way years ago, when she first signed up with me, she was down like 70 pounds I wanted to hit that 100 pounds. And she was just tapped out, stalled. We were on nutrition, training, everything. I'm like, all right, let's look at your training. She's training six days a week. She's doing morning boot camps, two-a-days, which I didn't know. And I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Stop doing two-a-days. She's like, what? That's going to cut three training sessions out of my week. I'm like, yep, cut them out. That's a lot of calories burned. Okay, sleep more. And guess what happened? She started losing yep. weight again. And then we hit 100 pounds without two-a-days, right? Yep. So that is like huge proof. Cause that's actually 30 pounds with no two yeah. days. Yeah. And we dialed in her nutrition a little bit more, but after the, it started slowing down again, but dude, like literally we took away training sessions and it helped because same thing, she was working, she's got a big family, she's got extended family living with her. Um, she's doing a lot. And if anybody knows Chad, she's like the big sister and mom to too many people you could say. And, and she, so she holds stress for not only herself, but other people too. And then she's training that. And I get that, that that's an outlet for some people, but it's also a stress. Right.
1: And that's too much of a good thing can can be detrimental. Oh, 100%. So.
2: 100%. So our final question comes from Anonymous, who says they've been weight training for a while now, quite a long time. But they're curious to know why they still get sore after activities such as playing sports.
1: So this one, I mean, I, I've experienced it too. Um, it's It's different it's a different demand on your body, right? So just like conditioning, like if you're doing uh like a boot camp or um whatever you're doing for, you know, like metabolic conditioning, it's going to affect you in a different way that uh strength training would, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's the same thing from sport to sport, right? Like if you play let's say you play baseball, I don't see I don't know if anybody's ever gotten sore from playing baseball, <laughs> but and then you
2: go and play it's a cold shot. <laughs>
1: I can't stand baseball, um, but and then if you go and play like soccer, you're gonna experience yeah. different.
0: But I think too, like so. Let's use your boxing as an example, right? So yeah. we so we started playing soccer. We it's been a month now. Yep. Yeah. That first game fucked us up. Yeah, I think it's yeah. we were sore as hell. Yeah. Right? Um, last Sunday I wasn't sore at all afterwards. No, neither. Um, you just started boxing last week. You're still sore. Yeah. Right. Still so can barely move. the body adapts, and the reason I'm saying this is because if I was still sore from soccer after 4 weeks. I would be like, okay, like I get it. If I was still sore in another 2 to 4 weeks from soccer, I would be like, okay, I'm not recovering enough. My body is needing rest, right? right. It's too stressed out. It's right. too overwhelmed. Right. Now, if you just started a new sport or you took like so I took uh 3 weeks in between seasons and then I got sore the first couple weeks again. Like, of course I'm going to be sore. It's a new stimulus again, like it's different. I it's a it's outdoor versus indoor. But if you're just continually getting sore from the same shit over, like if you've been strength training four days a week for a year and you're still getting sore every single time to the point where you sit down and it hurts, something's wrong with your recovery. Yeah, I think that soreness is a good gauge for muscle gain um, because breaking down tissue leads to building muscle. So every once in a while when you start, like every first week of my new program, I do get sore. But it's not because I'm under-recovered. It's because, oh, shit, I'm doing front squats this this time instead of uh, hack squats, right? It's, it's a slightly different movement. Different so demand, I, yeah. yeah. So I get a little sore in different places. Um, but, so that's, that's my two cents. I mean, but you also shouldn't be sore all the time. No, yeah. Soreness doesn't lead gains, Right, lead to gains right directly. Uh, yeah,
1: but I, I think it's hilarious when people are like, man, I'm so fucking sore. This is great. Yeah.
0: Like yes. in some sense, it's, it's, it's a good and a bad thing. But like you said, just a little bit ago, the uh, good things aren't great. If you do a lot of it or right, whatever you right. said, like it's, you can't you can't get overly sore constantly you butchered that quote what was
1: it <laughs> too much of a good thing can be detrimental oh there you go
0: that sounds way worse <laughs> i don't even know what you said <laughs> i don't either but the point is is like soreness can be a good thing but it can be a really bad thing if you're do- overdoing it so i'd say for whoever asked that question it's like if you just started playing last week, give it a few more weeks. If you're still sore, consider more recovery uh, adaptations. And if you're still sore after a few weeks after that, consider lowering training volume. Because there's like these, there's things called uh, MRV, so uh, maximum recoverable uh, recovering volume, recoverable volume, and then there's MR. A I like Mike Israel, Dr. Mike Isriatil has this like whole philosophy on it. he's gonna write a book about it. It's actually really dope and it, it it shows you how to scale how much is recoverable, right? So your maximum amount of recoverable volume is a good thing. You wanna be in that zone within some sets and reps, but if you overdo that, your body will never and that's its adaptive volume. So you will never adapt and you will never or You will never grow, essentially, because you'll be too broken down, right? You can't recover. So you want to get to the maximum threshold of what is recoverable, not unrecoverable. So it sounds a lot like HRV. It's a way of doing that without having to wear a heart rate. It's kind of like, okay, record your sets. Right. Okay. Throughout the week, I did... 20 sets on chest muscles back muscles whatever or you can just go i did 120 total sets because there's two ways of looking at this total sets is going to be more central nervous system fatigue and recoverable volume and picking apart body parts will be more from a muscular standpoint right and some like i know for a fact my uh my lats and back and glutes and hamstrings can take more uh volume than my shoulders can my arms can because they're smaller muscles Mm -hmm. right so um it's a good way to gauge that, and actually soreness plays a good factor in that. If your hamstrings just never get sore, you're probably not hitting enough volume. Like if they, if if I was like, I can't remember the last time I got sore, I should probably add a little bit of volume. It would be a good way to test that gauge, and then you record it. So that's why I know, and it's actually cool. Like on my Excel sheets where I have my program written, it gives me the total volume at the end of it, right? How many sets did I actually do? So I can track this for months and months on end, and then at the end I can see like. I've been recovering fine. I've been seeing results and I've been doing good. So I know this range is my max recoverable volume. Let's try to push that. If I push it, I start getting beat down. And I know I need to stay in that range, right? So you can start pushing yourself to a, a certain limit. And that's things like coaches do for people, right? Like my coach records that for me because he knows where my – because I update him. I'm like, man, I feel like shit. I'm stressed yeah, out. I'm not yeah. sleep. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, we got to lower your MRV a little bit. It's simple. It's an easy way to gauge it. So – That went on a little tangent, but I think that answers the question pretty well. For sure. Boom. Q&A done.
1: Done deal.